Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions. Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. this episode of the round table today we're going to be talking a little bit about diversity in D&D, and we have some wonderful guests here with us to kind of give you their input and thoughts into where we are now and where we've come from and how everything has improved or not and what we can still do to get to a better place um, with us today we have jay anderson CJ and Montel, whose last names I just forgot, but that's okay, because they're going to tell us that a little bit about themselves. Uh, so we'll start with our get-to-know-you question. Tell me a little bit about yourself, why everyone should know you from, and then tell me, what is your favorite tabletop RPG? Uh, it, it doesn't have to be Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, this is kind of a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, but if it's not Dungeons & Dragons, that's okay, too. Yeah, um, and... You know, not to play favorites, but I'm going to start with you, Jay, because I personally have known you the longest. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and tell me about your favorite tabletop RPG. Sure. Uh, my name is Jay Anderson. I am been basically around tabletop RPGs for well over 20 years, been playing um, organized play campaigns for the vast majority of that. 
Um, I um, help DM and organize games here at the Knoxville, Tennessee area, primarily for D&D Adventures League and also gaming kind of in general. Uh, my favorite um, tabletop RPG is by far D&D uh, for a variety of reasons. The numerous worlds that it has, the, uh, the, the rules work very well. I'm a fan of of second, third, fourth, and fifth edition. I'd probably be a fan of first edition if I was actually um, playing D&D um, back then when it was uh, first out. Uh, but as a secondary shout-out, another tabletop RPG I want to mention is Shadowrun, and I enjoy that primarily because it's futuristic, and they are, you're able to kind of have a semi-utopia and dystopia at the, um, at the same time, um, playing on... Um, race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, a whole a variety of things that making your character while working in a complex geopolitical world that makes me uh, quite entertained. Oh, I had a feeling that you were definitely going to say those two. So glad to know I was right on the mark. Uh, how about you, Montel? About yourself and your favorite tabletop RPG. Oh, goodness. Well, my name is Montel Thompson. I have been in gaming since I was, wow, I'm 49, so I've been in it since I was 18. Um, I first started with Dungeons and Dragons when I was in high school, but I have to honestly say I didn't really get into gaming thoroughly until later in the years when I was actually, I had the chance to become a geek and nerd due to adulting just got dull. And so I became, uh, a tournament organizer for my local store here in Norfolk, uh, Atlantis Games and Comic where I organized Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, and now Carfight Vanguard. But now I also... I'm a part of BlurCon in our second year. I am the tabletop uh, representative. I am the one that runs the tabletop room. And this year we had a phenomenal year. Paige was there and she and, oh my goodness, you guys made it really epic. Um, It's going to be even better next year. Oh, I am literally drooling. I am drooling in advance here. That's not fair. Okay, I don't have that much saliva. Um, (laughs) But I can honestly say... There were two, I had two RPGs that were my favorite. My first, my very first one would have to be Gamma World because I experienced that when I went to, went to A school. I loved it because it had a post-apocalyptic feel to it and it literally lets you open yourself to different possibilities and not just stay, uh, stay focused in one specific set of rules. Okay. My, my character was a tiger with mutated hands. I can brag about that until the day I die. My second one was Marvel Superheroes because oh nice this is a great game. I'm a comic nerd and to be able to not only create my favorite heroes or create a hero of my own imagination and my own making but to know the inner workings the ups and downs the highs and lows and to be able to construct a fight that's just amazing. The imagination is oh my gosh I love the imagination it is so sexy. So that is pretty much me. You just preached a gospel to me about Marvel superheroes. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm kind of like, why am I not playing this now? <laughs> oh, it's an awesome game. I love that, too. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, TJ, you know, those are going to be hard to follow up, but tell everyone about yourself. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm TJ. Uh, I'm an account associate for Roll20, and uh, I am probably the newest uh in terms of the, the, the wonderful round table that we have here to tabletop as phenomenon. <laughs> um, I, I haven't played a lot, but as I have uh, gotten to know uh, the sort of culture around it and um, all the different 
worlds and versions of it and systems that you can play. Uh, it's uh, opened itself up to me and the community is so much nicer than so many other sort of nerd community. Um, and uh, I would say that my favorite uh, of the two systems that I've uh, been privileged to play so far is Mouse Guard. I love Ooh, Mouse so, Guard. Oh, yeah. I haven't played that has, real good. That has a lot more to do with uh my love of brian jock's red wall series anything else <laughs> but um i do like uh like to play as a tiny mouse person <laughs> oh man i like him already okay <laughs> yeah yeah tiny adorable animals and everything I think we just became best friends <laughs> into some of the stuff we're going to discuss. Uh, Montel, you mentioned um, all these wonderful RPGs, and then we mentioned BlurredCon as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about BlurredCon and, you know, where it kind of came from? Okay. Well, BlurredCon, for those who don't know, is a convention that focuses on the marginalized groups. Uh, folks of color, of sexual orientation, of uh, different ethnic backgrounds, and of you know, ha- even handicapable. Um, the it was the brainchild of Hilton George and 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 my uh, my other friend Hassan. They are the co-founders. They created this because if you think about it, conventions have been around for years, but there really hasn't been a convention that focuses on the community more so than the theme. I've attended San Diego Comic-Con 11 times. I've been to Dragon Con, Katsukon, uh, you name it. But when you think about where these conventions go, they just say, here, here's an event. Boom. Everybody attend. And everybody attend. But it doesn't really give a chance to focus on the attendees and the people who do show up. And if you think about it, and not even from a racial standpoint, but there was, there's never, there hasn't been a lot of, uh, ethnic or marginalized representation in conventions until recently. But there was never really a gathering. So BlurCon focuses on that, but at the same time, it is a gathering place for all geeks and nerds, no matter what range of life you have, no matter where you come from, no matter what you do, we're all together. Because guess what? We all love comics, anime, gaming, cosplay, music, you you name it. And this was our second year, and I can honestly say this has been one project that I have really been passionate about um i've attended conventions but i've never gotten the chance to work them and when hilton found me and told me he wanted me to be a part of BlurCon as the tabletop guy i literally screamed because as long as i've been into gaming as far as far as organizing and competing or even participating i've never gotten to run my own room at a convention so it was a dream come true for me um it's been a wonderful journey this year. We did really, we did a lot better than last year. We almost tripled our attendance. And wow, it's been enough- triple? Yeah. Because that convention was packed with people. It, <laughs> I was, when when I found out at the last night when everyone was gone, Hilton, he came and clapped me on the shoulder. He said, are you still alive, sir? I said, I'm the sexiest zombie you ever knew. He said, good. <laughs> I'm about to tell you the numbers. And he told me and my jaw dropped. We literally, we almost tripled our attendance from last year. And 
I was proud. Jenny, a, the, just to give you a, a, a size of the scope of this, and for those of you who've been organized, and Jay, you'll know this too, uh, the people who have been to Winter Fantasy for many years, it's in the Hyatt Regency Crystal City, which is the same hotel that Winter Fantasy was in, I don't know, 15 years ago. So it, it's the same size Winter Fantasy was 15 years ago, and it's bulging at the seams. It's going to get bigger. I'm, I'm hoping it does. I'm oh, hoping. Yeah. Oh, ever since I've heard to. about BlurCon, I've already passed the word on to several people. And there are a few people I know in my neck of the woods are making plans to come there next time. I well, definitely I, think it's going to get so much bigger. Like, community for tabletop, community for any kind of gaming, and just the people who want to hang out with like-minded, passionate, and enthusiastic people. It's just, they're out there. They want to be at your show. And and that's what we want. We want to bring everyone because there's the the thing about BlurCon and and this 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 is the key word education. There are people who are aware of these communities, but they don't know about these communities. You know, the folks of the the black community, from the Latinos, from the LGBTQ, from folks of international status, of women, of handicapable. They're just considered just. You know, faces in the door. But at this convention, everybody is an integral part of the success of what made BlurCon shine. And I couldn't be more proud. And that tabletop room this year, oh, Paige knows, we was banging it the whole weekend. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of new players. Like, it was a lot of players who's like, I've never played D&D before, but I'm kind of interested because I saw it on Critical Role, Stranger Things, whatever. Or... Hey, I played D&D about 30 years ago. Has it changed much? <laughs> and the answer to that is no. We've gone right back to second edition, and it's marvelous. <laughs> so, <laughs> BlurCon, I, I, I tell him, and I, I invite everyone, if you get a chance, come to BlurCon 2019, because this year was great, but next year, oh my goodness. I am literally drooling at the possibility. So here, here's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. How do we replicate that success? So, like, in Atlanta, I've just discovered recently that there's a little convention called Blacktasticon. I yes, want to try and wow. get out. Yes. Yeah, what a name, right? Yes, I've uh, heard of Blacktasticon. A lot of my cosplay friends and, and compatriots went there this year. Yeah, I got the impression it was more of an anime cosplay kind of gig, but I want to see if I can't noodle in there and maybe offer them to, to run their D&D room or work for somebody there who is. Do um, come on, compatriot. I love that word. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? How? It, what advice would you have for a listener who has heard this idea and says, "I want to run a blurred con in whatever little town I live in or big town I live in"? What? How do you start an event like this? What does it take to get that community together and start that ball rolling? I mean, and really that question can be for any of you, because you've all had some kind of experience in doing uh, things or hosting educational events and stuff like that. Wow. Well, my perspective would be just to have a passion for it. You can't just set it up as, as, as any type of singular event and you don't believe in what you're trying to do. You know, conventions can be of any size gatherings of like this can be of any size but if the people who are involved in it and are putting the work into it and are trying to set up the events and bringing the guests don't believe in what they're doing it just it's just it's a convention on paper that's all it is you have to believe in what you're doing just like blur cost philosophy we believe in what we're doing 
And as long as you have that and you have folks that want to be a part of that, you can only go up. Also, I think that it's important to note that you're not going to wake up in the morning one day and start a blurred con. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think that it's really important to note that any gathering of people can be a quote unquote convention. There's meetup.com. There's all kinds of places. You can start a Facebook group for locals around the area who are interested in the exact same things as you are a related thing. and can put that together oh i'm hearing an echo i'm sorry <laughs> um you can put that together and uh start small and things can grow uh because obviously if it's important and if you believe in it if you have that passion behind it people will come just ask the blurred kind guys also i want to uh point out um harp on one particular thing you just mentioned there it doesn't matter what size it is um but, i mean the big obviously bigger and to involve more people is a, is a great thing but even if it's just a group of 10 15 20 of you just uh, getting together to um, discuss things like um, this or uh, just gather together in the sense of, of fellowship uh, for an extended period of time that's a win in itself and it's all and it's a worthwhile thing to do and yeah it's kind of funny to me that you're saying that because i know you were involved with the formation of say versus hunger and when it was formed it was uh, and that's a local convention that we do in the Knoxville area. Jay's in, on the been with since the dawn of time <laughs> for it, and it was very it started small. As a, yeah, it started as a simple a group of friends of us want to um, get together and just um, throw some um, have some games for our friends and their friends and and the like, um, and while um, raising some money for charity. And then from there, we were all very passionate about just like how you um, described this moment ago, Montel, about um, BlurCom, just passionate about the cause, passionate about putting on a good time. And the people just simply showed up, showed up for it. We were very clear about what we were looking to do, what kind of games and events we're looking to have. And the people just showed up and it just grew amazingly ever since. And I hope the same happens to BlurCon in incredible numbers. I'm hoping BlurCon has the same problem we're having. I don't know where to put all these people. Yes. Yeah, that's a great problem. I, that's the problem I think we could do with, but I don't know if anyone is aware, we actually had an issue, of, I think, uh, sometime last week. Oticon um, and BlurCon, at one point, were the same weekend. Oh, yeah. So, but luckily, we have worked with the hotel, so now we're going, our, the, it's, ah. When you talk to people all day on the phone, your mouth just says, screw it, man, I don't want to talk anymore. Well, you don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> so we just suck it up, okay? Just shut up. But we now have our weekend set up, so now we're not going to be competing with Otakon. And all I tell everyone, if you're listening to this, if you've heard of us, please come check it out. If you haven't, please come check us out. If you're curious, if you want to have fun, you got Paige. Paige will tell you from the get-go how crazy it was, but it was the type of insanity oh, yeah. to be a part of. And, like, the cosplay was amazing. Like, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Like, I go to Dragon Con and I see good cosplay. Like, Blurred Con's cosplay is just as good as high-end Dragon Con cosplay. There was so much good Steven Universe cosplay. Yeah! I didn't goodness. take any pictures and I was so angry at myself. <laughs> I uh I I debuted my 
second version of Patriot from the Young Avengers, my urban Patriot, and I got a lot. I of- saw you in that Patriot cosplay, Montel. <laughs> I and was- it was fantastic. You, thank you, thank you. That was all I wanted to know, because Lord knows I'm too old to sew. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Another thing about BlurredCon, it had a lot of nice panels on it that were um, all focused. Well, not all, but there's a lot of pa- panels focused on how do I cosplay, mm-hmm. um, which is because it can be a little intimidating to to get into. And they had great panels about you know here's physically how you make a costume, or here's looking at your cosplay, and I want to do a gender switch, or I want to do a, a different. Uh, uh, cosplay somebody of a different race, or I want to cosplay, but I'm but I'm big, and I want to cosplay, but I'm uh, uh, have mobility issues. So it had like a lot of really good panels. Well, that was another thing we wanted to differentiate us from the other convention was we wanted to make sure that we had more workshops than panels, because that's always a thing. You can sit down at a panel and someone can tell you about themselves, but what, what about bringing someone in and showing them what they want to know. Hey, how do I make this armor out of this foam? Or how do I make an effective cape? Or how do I do Steven Universe, but it's in my own, you know, my own version. It doesn't look like, you know, a big bag of marbles, you know. And and it went on from there. And diversity is the key word. The, the conventions like this have to be diverse. They can't just stick to the same formula because it's, the same formula gets old and drab and dull, and you wonder why you go from 1,000 attendees to 250, because you haven't changed what you're trying to do. Actually, there was one seminar that, um, I saw the flyer for a bunch of seminars that were there that uh, sounded really great to me, Blurcon had, uh, about how to do RPG world building without <laughs> the real life racism. Well, that was a yeah. great panel. I was yeah. on that panel. Yeah, that was so CJ, cool. you want to talk about to us a little more about that panel? Uh, yeah. Um, I think that it, that panel uh also included um uh, a colleague of mine at Roll Twenty, Alex Croft, and <laughs> I uh, love Alex. Yeah, and Tanya, who's at Cypher on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and or and basically everywhere else, and well. Really, the basic gist of it was that a lot of what we talk about at Roll20 is being communicative with your players and and the players being communicative with the GM about what game you're trying to play. And also the the concept of this being fun. And there's going to come a time where you have people involved in your games who are from marginalized groups of any kind and this is so the panel wasn't really about uh, it wasn't just about building without um or building a game without irl racism but also without irl misogyny if possible without um you know ableism if possible and uh the thing to remember in situations like this which i think um not only the tabletop uh community but geek culture at large 
has to sort of grapple with is this idea that people are coming in from these marginalized backgrounds and they live this stuff every day. So having it reflected in their entertainment in games they play and things that they're supposed to be doing to have fun to escape from that uh, can be off-putting and can lead people away from the medium. So working towards trying to make sure everything is more inclusive is only going to make tabletop as a community and tabletop as a medium of, of, of expression and of entertainment uh, that much more uh, diverse and therefore more fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I actually reached out to Tanya to see if she could join us tonight, uh, but she is really busy and uh, could, yeah. could not. She's she's always she's always booked and busy. Yeah, and that's good. That's good because she does she does a yeoman's work out there. Uh, one a couple of things about that panel that I I thought were good, like practical, hands-on, do this now tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh one thing she said that really caught me because I'd seen it before, and uh, is that sometimes when you have you know your standard fantasy setting. The, the white person is just there. That's fine. They're there. Whatever. Mm-hmm. They showed up. But the, the person who is not white, who is black or brown or yellow or whatever, they have to have some or, huge backstory about how they got there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's not fair. And it's not right. And it's not good. And it's not fun. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we just rolled up the castle and both of the guards are black guys. No explanation needed. <laughs> rolled up in the castle and the, the princess is Latina. No explanation needed. She's just there. She that that's how the world is. Yeah, because uh, people have just been around forever. All kinds of people. And the um, there was another thing in that panel that uh, was brought up by Alex, which is uh, having these kinds of conversations can be hard. Uh, they can be difficult, and uh, it's easy for. Um, uh, parties who do not come from necessarily marginalized backgrounds to take offense because they don't mean to offend uh, because it wasn't their intention to. But intention isn't magic, and that's what we mean by communication. And you want to make sure everyone is having a good time, and a part of that is making sure everyone feels safe at the table. Yeah, the intent isn't magic was a great way that Alex phrased something that – that I think a lot of people know, but don't have, have never thought about it in that kind of concrete terms. Mm-hmm. Just because you did not mean to be a jerk to someone does not mean you were not actually a jerk to them. Yeah. Right. So if you, if you see it happening, you have got to stop yourself and say, you know what? It's not actually what I meant. I apologize. Here's what I actually meant. Also, if you're creating a game that involves dragons, uh, historical realism isn't a thing. Um, Amen. And, and even and even if you go back and you look at actual history and not the sort of version of history that institutions have taught all of us for so long, you know, there were people all over the place of all different backgrounds. Everyone was traveling everywhere. The world has been diverse forever. Uh, but even beyond that, even beyond that, the idea of historical accuracy within a fantasy game, if there are dragons, there is no historical accuracy. And that's not an excuse to make. Yeah, and I'll, I'll find that website. Was it called the Something Medievalist? Uh, I 
can uh, check we'll, back with you on that. We'll put it in the show <laughs> notes. Else said it. Yeah. yeah. It's called yeah, it's called the Something Medievalist. Yeah, that's an issue that a lot of tabletop worlds have. A lot of them just present the world from a, a Euro, um, Euro European-centric point of view, where everybody is white or some form white. They're described as uh, uh, the description is given describes of a Germanic person or a Scottish or Irish or Italian person, whatever you have you, and the world was is just simply a lot bigger than that. And you and you should include additional skin color descriptions for Latino or Asian or Black or whatever have you. And it shouldn't just be limited to humans as well. Even um, there's no reason why you can't have a um, a dark skinned elf that's not necessarily a drow, a um, Latino um, dwarf, for example, or an Asian halfling or something else like that. There's there's nothing. Just like you said, there's no such thing as historical accuracy when your world involves dragons. So there's, there can certainly be diversity among demi-human races as well. And you should just limit yourself to just simply always thinking in the forms of, well, this is how I've always been introduced with this. Well, no, just expand your mind. Expand your world. Jay, you what is that them? site called? The Public Medievalist? Public, yeah, it's called The Public Medievalist. And when you go to their main page, uh, you will see... Uh, an option for race, racism, and the Middle Ages. It's actually a really great read, uh, and it shows that when unbiased scholars start looking at the art, artwork, and history of the Middle Ages, there were a lot of black people around in Europe. Like, a lot oh, of yeah. them. Oh, yeah. 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 We, I mean, we were everywhere. We right. Were everywhere. Like, I mean, particularly of black and brown people all over Europe. I mean, particularly with the the wars coming into space. It doesn't matter. Do you There's mean to plenty of black people. that Europe is close to Africa or close to other places near the equator where melanin levels are high? Is that what you're trying to tell me? It's mind-blowing! And Jay, were you trying to say that maybe like dwarves and elves lived somewhere where the sun was out all the time and had to, had to develop darker skin to protect themselves for that? Just yeah. maybe. Oh, man. What a mind-blower. Wow, that that just that just knocked me out of my chair. Oh wait, I'm right? not the chair. Wow. Right, <laughs> I, and that's that's the part. Like, I don't understand why people have a difficulty grasping that these fantasy races might also have a plethora of skin tones, just like humans in the real world do, because we live in different temperate climates and we have developed that over, you know generations of time for, you know, various reasons and stuff. Like, if you look at a map of where the people are with the darkest skin in the world, oh my, how surprising. It lines up with where the equator is. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people um, have a hard time reconciling that because uh, the culture, as we know it, has uh, been feeding us very specific images about the Middle Ages, and those inform a lot of the fantasy that we consume. A lot of the fantasy books, a lot of the fantasy films are all sort of based around that particular aesthetic, and that aesthetic uh, unfortunately also um, collides with the cultural interpretation of whiteness as the default human experience. Right. Right. Um, right. And so, if even yeah. and if you even go back in time to even in cinema, when you would see movies like Lawrence of Arabia or or even Othello, and you knew these characters 
were of a certain tint of a certain skin color. And yet, but they just needed to be played by Orson Welles at this particular moment. <laughs> <laughs> or Scarlett Johansson. Like, she took all the rest, right? <laughs> oh, God. Yes. We're going to have this Egyptian character played by Sir Laurence Olivier. What in the world? Oh, man. Oh. But it, it, and it was reflective of, a, of an earlier time where, as a culture, we weren't as woke, which was sad. But I kind of like. I kind of feel like this is the golden age of D and D that we're in right now, and I kind of feel like it's the golden age for women in D and D, for people of color in D and D, for LGBT plus people in D and D. Well, part of that is because we're changing. The imagery is changing um, bit by bit, and we're getting more people entering the community that seeing the change in imagery. I mean, back in the day, we had like Lords of Rings or other um, um, films where it was basically white dominant, but now today, where we have like um, things like uh, community or um, stranger things would be heavy, where you see more people of, of color be, um, um, being involved, and that's hopefully will only continue to um, grow. Where we see, no, it's not just a white-dominated world. Yep, and that, that actually brings up something that you know I I had thought of and was thinking on about the change in the artwork in the role-playing books that we have today, and how it is more representative of all the various ethnicities, the male-to-female ratio that exists in the real world. And, I mean, I know if you've got a fifth edition handbook and you open it up to uh, the fighter, there is a beautiful, strong, fully armored black woman Mm -hmm. looking back out at you. And it's just wonderful. Ravnica. And amazing. And, And we've all seen, I'm sure now, the cover for the new Ravnica guidebook coming out. Yes. Oh my God. I have never daydreamed so hard in all my days. On the cover of the book. I am Good. so excited for that. That's exactly where she needs to be. And I think um, Wizards of the Coast has been doing a, uh, I mean, a wonderful job. I mean, and, and that, that's just one I've seen. I mean, you guys probably know other good examples of, you know, changes for the positive where we've had, you know, more representation. I, I mean, I mean, Paizo has great ones. And I mean, yeah. So, I mean, how much does that stuff like that mean, you think, to people of color, to women, like, to, to see that? Or, well, I, I can honestly say from... Being in part of gaming as long as I have, I mean, I've I've been in it since I was in high school, and my first character is a two point. And this is ironically, my first character in two point five was a paladin. I've always been key on paladins because to me, a strength of a person comes from within, and your your faith should be what powers you, depending upon your deity. And when I did create this character. Oh my gosh, I still think about the story and still laugh. I sat down for my very first time and I'm surrounded, I'm a sophomore, surrounded by seniors. Sophomore in high school or college? High school. Oh yeah, it was back, you know, yeah, we were sitting on stone tablets and, you know, we were chipping our homework. <laughs> yeah, it was back that far. Uh, <laughs> but I sat down with my character now. In my mind, I did not put a color or an image of what this character looked like. To me, it was a paladin. 
with a bat with a you know with the warhammer and i thought it was cool and one of the teams looks at me and says um what does your character look like i said what do you mean um is it a long-haired black man is it a short-haired black woman and i literally froze and the table got quiet i don't think he realized that he just generalized what my character should look like i think he was just honestly curious and i said i didn't think about it i just thought it was a character that that's representative of what i wanted of what class i wanted of what he said oh i thought it was gonna be a black woman and i just i just dropped my head and just oh my gosh and we've come so far we have come so far with diversity in tabletop gaming as a whole because let's face it I mean, I, I can't speak for CJ or Jay, but I know personally there were times I felt really awkward sitting at a table ready to play. Oh, 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 yeah. There, I, that story you just told, I, could, I have the exact equivalent. Um, I was probably uh, making like five or six characters, oh, my fifth or sixth character this time. And the entire time I've always um, described my various characters. And I, um, and I was actually swapping race. Um, um, my first couple of characters were intentionally black. And then I, Purposely went to an Asian character, and I purposely went to a white character, and so forth, and, and we're describing them. And then one time I made a brand new character and didn't descri- um, describe it at all, and, I, and they, um, um, somebody was just like in the room drawing a character, they drew, they drew a, um, a black person. I'm like going, wait, I actually did describe that. This, this person is actually um, was going to be white. And that's when I discovered that they thought of all of my characters as black, mm-hmm. even though I had described them otherwise in some cases. Just everything I'd ever played was black because they were looking at me as a as a, a black person. I'm going, why are you putting me in that box? And turn about and as an analogous point to that, most of them have almost always played white. They've never even um, tried to play or try to understand play with different races themselves. It's just just like a like a a place that they their mind just would not let themselves go to. And I'm I think we've come a long way since that, but there are still some barriers I see occasionally where people are just kind of like stuck in that general mode of thinking that we have to occasionally break through. Well, I too have a really wonderful drawing of a misgendered character that I've played. (laughs) 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 Not not all of my characters are women, guys. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh, (laughs) heaven forbid. Really? Have you have you run into problems the opposite way where you found non-black people playing black characters and it's been off-putting or oh, yeah. something that made you sad? Oh, so, yeah. you first. No, by all means, Jay, please. Jay. Sure. So, there's another RPG that I'm going to shamelessly plug, plug called Witch Hunter. Um, it's uh, dated back to oh, pre-colonial times. Days. Yeah, the old days. <laughs> dated back to pre-colonial times and people were playing... Um, um, people from Europe, but there's also people playing um, Native Americans, um, Black, um, Asian, and so forth. And I remember where one person was playing a Muslim Black person at um, at the table, and I sat down at the table, and I, I had heard about this character um, while playing with some other folks, saying, you got to play with this guy, they're, um, they're doing it right. And I sat down at the table, looking to see them role-play that character, whatever have you, and they just froze, because I was there, and I, I, I don't hide the fact that I'm Black, clearly. I mean, you look at me, I'm, you know I'm Black. And, but they were trying to um, role play this character, and it, they just be like were, were like unsure, like they were afraid of offending me at any moment. And I was like, no, just go ahead, uh, play your character. Let uh, let me see. So long as you're not doing it in an, an offensive, jokey way, I'm quite happy that you're um, actually expanding your role playing 
um, bear, um, your role-playing borders to do that. Now, unfortunately, I have seen not as, not seeing someone play a black person, but some people play some other races that are a bit offensive, and you just have to like speak out about that, that, that now. Like when I see someone playing an, an Asian character who has to be a monk, and they just pull in every old kung fu movie stereotype they can, yeah. it's just like, no, no, we we really shouldn't be doing that. And some really yeah. bad stereotypical Asian accents. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I've had to step up to one or two of those in the recent history that that is just not acceptable. And I, I can't imagine all the ones why I may not have seen where people were maybe playing black people in an offensive manner that it's, I don't see it because obviously they don't want to show that around me. I have always been known to be a vocal kind of person, so I would absolutely speak up about that. So I, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm not naive enough to know that it doesn't. The thing is, Jay, you and I have been playing games together for, what, 15 years, probably the better part of 20. Yeah. And you tend to surround yourself with really good people and really good role players. So. This is true. Uh, you also should try to, I try to speak out regularly and encourage people and make sure they always understand my point of view on those kind of things. What I will accept, what I won't accept, what I think is good, or what I don't um, think is good, and try to help convince people that mindset. Taking their opinions too. There have been times where I've been cor- I'm corrected as well, but I'm, I've never been shy about my opinion. I've always I'm, I'm spoke up. I the reason why I do that is in part a that's my kind of personality, but b I also know there's a lot of people who just will not speak up, who are meek, who are who don't really aren't as outgoing. I mean, we're nerd culture. By and large, a lot of us are introverts. They don't have the ability to simply like speak up where they see something's wrong or where they're uncomfortable. They internalize or they would um, go away somewhere else. And I speak or, up as or they're, I do to they're try not to help secure physically. Or like, there's that as well. There's absolutely um, that component um, to it. But I try to speak up as often as I do to help make them feel comfortable so they know that there is an advocate on their side and to make sure they feel comfortable in the gaming spaces that at least the ones I'm a part of. Where, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm part of the gaming space, everybody's welcome. I don't care who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And you've done a fantastic job from, you know, what I've seen and experienced with you of having a very welcoming community in places where you organize. I know not just myself, but a lot of other people in the Knoxville community have spoken highly of, you know, your efforts in the community and how you make everyone feel welcome. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, they're old, they're young, they've been playing D&D or whatever games longer than I've been alive, or black, white, Asian, never, you know, just moved to Knoxville. It doesn't matter. Jay is like, all right, here's the table. Let's play. Yeah. I will say that, uh, so when I first got into public gaming, I mean, I, I gamed with my friends uh, back in the early 90s, and I was perfectly fine. But when I first got into public gaming, it was a bit off-putting because this was, my first public game was at 1996 um, at DragonCon, actually. And I remember me and my uh, best friend, who was also black at the time, just walking up to the table. And I remember like seeing five white guys just kind of like look at, up at us. And one of them uh, basically had to look on their face up, are you lost? I'm like going, no, I, I want to come and play D&D and sit right here at this table. And they they were all fine with at, uh, as we went along, but there's still that moment, that little awkward moment of, wait, we are not used to seeing people like you in settings like this. And likewise, I, in time, I, I just you just look around and you just 
um, look around and notice that, man, there's just simply not that many of us. And representation really does matter. There have been yeah. quite a few people who I brought to the gaming table just simply because a, a black person was there and I, repre- and I was able to represent some level of diversity. I can't imagine what it would be like in some places that don't have that. And there are certainly – and there will be interested folks who are just simply afraid to go in that space because they don't see that diversity. I'm thankful for BlurCon for actually being a thing. I mean, that's a, a fantastic thing that'll do a lot for the uh, for the black community and other uh, persons of color communities all over. I will say that I, I, you know, heard through anecdotes and stuff that it's definitely since you've been in the community and people, other people who've been playing as long as you have out in the convention scene, where they used to know. I mean, people have known of Jay for a while, but it used to be maybe people hadn't talked to him, but they knew him because he was that black guy who shows up to all the games and loves all of them. And now it's, oh, Jay is that guy there wearing the shirt because you can't just say that anymore. So that's that's a good a good thing that it has grown into where you're no longer such an anomaly that, you know, people feel that they can simply say that, oh, he's, you know, the black guy. So th- that to me feels like a lot of progress in and of itself. Also, I really like that they know your name now. That pleases me. <laughs> <laughs> it pleases me too. I, I did. I, I have wondered every now and then when some people come find me and says, "Did, did he? Did you? They describe you as far as was I wearing?" Is it say, "Oh yeah, just find a black guy over there." I have wondered that. <laughs> I tend, I tend to go with uh, the guy over there, probably wearing the Emerald Enclave shirt, or the guy who has unfortunately matched me today. Although we've gotten much better at not wearing matching outfits at every con. Jay and I. That's true. Yeah. We coordinate now to not match. <laughs> Try. You know, I I am guilty of that on several occasions myself. It's like we go to the same conventions and get the same t-shirts, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so Montel, were you gonna say something about that as well? Oh yeah, sorry. Fine. It's it. Well, not so much. It just I'm I'm glad that the level of diversity has increased because. Once again, there are people who tend to take the stereotypical approach when it comes to certain characters being created, and especially if the race is pronounced. So if you have someone who happens to be a fighter and and they're, of course, the person who has the character is a black person and they say he's a fighter, oh, he must be Jim Kelly or he must be. Uh, oh, goodness. See, that's why I draw a blank because I'm old. I didn't take my meds today. Um, <laughs> insert athlete, boxer, or whatever here. The, the Afro Samurai. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's what he needs to be. And like, no, his name is Milford, and he comes from a royal line, and he is white with blonde hair. And then that's when they all look at you and just say, "Oh, boy, I feel really stupid." As you should, because he's offended. Yeah, I mean, it, because like, if a character is going to be an elf or a, a half orc, then like, that's not any stranger than being black. It's a lot less strange, actually. Correct. Correct. It's a, it is a lot less strange than a black guy playing a white guy. I mean, I even came up with the op- with the concept of okay, why can't we have an albino drow? Well, I mean, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> go with what uh, what Tanya said at Bird. WordCon, which is just like, don't even start on the drow. I could talk your ear off about 15 minutes about the, 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 the greatness of drow, as well as why they cause so many problems for us as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm preaching to the choir on that one, but yeah. I'm sorry. Driss Dwarden, you are Zaddy. There's all there is about that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of the poster boy for the Forgotten Realms, and 
<laughs> I mean, so you can't just boot the drow, but that, that's true. But you know, my character is more like Wolfgar. You know, I, I want to yeah. be a big, strong guy with the hammer, but I don't always quite get it. <laughs> uh, CJ, so we talked a little bit about it uh-huh. in conventions and stuff, but I think you've probably got a unique perspective as far as like representation in online D and D and gaming. Um, yeah, I think I think because one, I'm relatively new to uh to tabletop in, in all its forms online and IRL. Uh and the large majority of my uh interaction with the community has been through my job through Roll Twenty. Um one of the wonderful things about that is that for the most part I've only encountered wonderful people. <laughs> And um, I, and that's that's definitely because Roll Twenty tries its best to foster that community within within the users of the platform. That being said, in terms of I, because there's been such a in this new renaissance of tabletop and D and D in particular that has been going on for the past like. Five or so years, maybe longer, maybe I don't know if it's longer. No, five uh, years is about right. Five, five or so years. I think because it has uh, come up in the same sort of era as the sort of overall diversity push within geek culture as a whole, I think you're seeing a lot of those changes that people might have or were might have been grappling for uh, much faster within that five-year period. Uh, you talk about um, seeing people of color within the artwork on the games. You talk about just seeing more diverse places in the uh, diverse spaces, excuse me, within the community at large. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I personally think that it can only go up from here so long as the community stays open and uh, stays trying to let me figure out what I'm trying to say. I apologize. Um, As long as the community is open to uh, continuing the fight and continuing uh, the initiatives that have been brought on by WAPI by Roll20, by all of these different organizations to diversify the space, I think there's really no way, nowhere to go but up in that respect. I, I also want to give a shout out not only to to Watsi, but to Paizo. Because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like Paizo started leading the charge with inclusive art, mm-hmm. both art of uh, people of color and art of women in non-sexualized, non-cheesecake poses. And I think that they what we see in 5th edition is in part a reaction to, to Pison's choices. Sweet. Hmm. Uh, CJ, I have a question about something you said earlier. Okay. You said you think the RPG community might be nicer than some of the other nerd communities? Yeah, you because, talk about that? because before I got, uh, and before I uh, really tried to dive deep into uh, tabletop, I was more of a film nerd, more of a comic book nerd. And um, on the internet, those particular spaces have become increasingly toxic. 
<laughs> especially within the past um, decade or so. Mm, okay. Especially because now there's such an overlap between those two spaces because, you know, you you pick up a rock and you throw it five feet in front of you and you hit a brand new superhero movie about a character you've never heard. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so, and, and you have a, a lot of infighting going on in those. And maybe I, I'm just not in tabletop enough yet to where I see that sort of that level of toxicity within the infighting. Uh, I know there's probably some infighting because there's infighting in all families, you know. Um, but uh, you know, it's not really nothing that I've seen from the tabletop communities, even the sort of D D versus Pathfinder stuff, reaches, you know, the levels of nastiness that, you know, say Batman v Superman brought about on the internet. So, so- do you think that's because the tabletop spaces are more specifically about sitting down with people and being together yeah. as a group? Because I think it definitely has something to do with the communal aspect of it. Specifically because when you uh, other other things, say video games, say comic books, say movies, you as an individual are receiving that information, receiving that content and forming your own individual opinion about it. And the discussion or the debate about it may be communal, but your actual, your person to person, or not person to person, your initial experience with it is something that is almost wholly individual. Mm-hmm. Whereas in tabletop, it's very, it's very communal thing. You're there with, um, four to six, I don't know how y'all roll, maybe 10, y'all might be more ambitious than me. Um, uh, yeah, people. no, like I'm like the line is seven for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you're, you're engaging with others. Uh, and it, and also a lot of uh, those other areas of geek and nerd culture um, are offline. And then the, toxicity of it happens online whereas uh, okay. uh, with, ta- with tabletop um at least before roll 20 and other things um you were sitting at a table with people and communicating with them mm-hmm. you, you weren't there wasn't anything or any reason for you to become a keyboard warrior for anybody because you were all there. And I think what um, Roll20 tries to do is bring that experience, that communal experience of uh, fun, of just nerdy fun to the online space. And I think they, uh, and I think we try to foster the type of community that we do specifically because we want to avoid those things, those, yeah. those negative aspects of those other facets of geek culture. Yeah. I mean, cause Lord knows uh, the online tabletop role playing game community can certainly argue, mm-hmm. uh, which is perhaps the largest understatement of 2018 thus far. Uh, <laughs> but it, you do have that um, check on the I'm anonymous on the internet and I'm going to be a jerk to the fact is, Hey, I'm going to a con next month and I'm going to see that person. So maybe I'm not going to be a big dick here. Unless we're talking about rule changes. 
then all bets. <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring it up. I wasn't gonna bring it up. Uh, yeah. Well, that is that's just the reality, though. Unfortunately. Yeah. They just posted new changes to the changes, and everyone's being very civil so far. Knock on wood. Oh, I'm glad they're being civil to you. My uh, my feed is blown up, but I, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> oh, I, I haven't looked. I've been kind of busy. We'll we'll find out. We'll find out. Um. So here's. So one of the problems I see is that there are not simply not enough black DMs. There aren't simply not enough black convention organizers or black content writers or black production uh, heads for various game companies. And Obviously, go ahead. And not even just you know black, although that would be great, but just non-white. Male, right? Not certainly not enough women either. Um, certainly not enough LGBT plus. So the the way we get those black DMs, the black convention organizers, and black writers, and black uh, production companies, is that we have more black people playing D and D, so they can move kind of up through the ranks, organizing for this hobby. So, what are some of the barriers do you think to people of color entering the tabletop? role-playing game community and kind of starting this process of becoming Black DMs, Black comic. Well, a, a lot of it is um, representation. And yeah. it, it, it's kind of a catch-22. You you want more representation out, out there to bring people in, but you can't get the more representation until you bring those people of color in first. So it's, just, it's, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to do, but that's really it. It's, uh, as, as people of color uh, need to when they get into the hobby, be willing to be uh, visible, be DMs, um, go up, up through the ranks, try to encourage uh, other people in the hobby. Just just you being there and being visible means a lot. There was a father who came to one of my game days, um, actually, where I was regularly running through a D&D book with his um, um, two kids, and they're all black. And I, um, and while I was running the game, he actually brought his kids to the game table every time. And then, unfortunately, I had to leave for several uh, months, and I loved and I was going to be back afterwards. But, unfortunately, when, when I left, he and those kids uh, loved as well, and I haven't unfortunately seen them again because I was the only black person there. So, and mm. so clearly representation matter in that case. I I can only hope that uh, those kids are uh, playing uh, D and D somewhere else, even their own home or whatever have you. But it's like representation, just just physically being um, there and present means a lot. Kind of piggybacking off of that representation, and also the. The present community that is there to welcome those who are, you know, who are of a diverse group into it. Because if you think about it, Dungeons and Dragons players, RPG players as a whole for years have always been considered of a specific racial group, either the, the white male or the white females or whomever. And to see, and for a while to see a, a black man or a black woman in that group was considered like a novelty. It was almost unreal to, and, and I, I should know because I was actually that token black person when, like I say, I go back to high school. Um, I was the only black person in the D and D group and there was, there were 15 of us and I was the only one. And mind you, this is in my high school where we had an attendance of about 2,500. So when I found out that I was the only one, I said, well, how come there isn't anybody else? And I just kind of got this collective shrug. They didn't know how to answer that question because they didn't 
they were so used to what they were doing, they didn't know. So we fast forward two years later when diversity becomes key, we still have that stigma of, okay, they're playing this. I don't think they'll welcome me. Um, if I sit there, I might feel awkward. It's just a matter of opening the door and having more of a welcoming presence. In my store, race, gender means nothing. And since they see me, and I've been in my store for 10 years, I'm the longest running employee there, and everybody knows me. They'll say, hey, Mr. Montel, hey, what's going on? Is there DD going tonight? Yeah, they're right over there, and they're playing, and, and I'll direct them. I had a young lady come up. Her name is Sarah May. I'll never forget Sarah May because she has been a soldier. She is a young, young black woman. And she came up and she's shy and quiet and, and timid. And she says, hi, I, I want to see, can I come play with your D&D Adventures League? I said, absolutely. So I grabbed her by the hand. I walked over and said, guys, this is Sarah May. She wants to play. Okay. Who wants to take her in? And everybody just starts saying, oh, she can play with our group. She can play with our group. And that's the sense of feeling of welcoming that we need. We want to play, but we don't want to be considered the person you stare at across the table waiting for them to do something. <laughs> we just, you know, it, and there's always a level of awkwardness, too. And I know Jay and CJ can definitely relate to this. Sometimes you get those that high level of awkward where mm -hmm. you're not sure how to react or what to say. If there, or there's some sort of lexicon of language that you have to speak. Instead of just saying, okay, just be you. Yeah, we, we as as nerds, we kind of think uh, we can kind of fall into a trap where we think of ourselves as above the sort of clickishness of human nature. Uh, but uh, we can also be very bad about that ourselves. So I think it's important to make sure that new people who want to participate are able to participate uh, because I can definitely relate to the idea of wanting to break into something and not feeling entirely comfortable and not feeling wanted. Uh, Ginny and I talked uh, on a different podcast about uh, women in the hobby. And one of the things that the kind of folks we talked to and the ideas we came up with that we thought was super helpful was to tell the game stores to hire women to work there. Just that, just hire women to work there because God knows women can do retail just as well as anybody else. Right. And just knowing that there was a friendly face on the inside that was another woman makes a game store seem somewhat less intimidating to, uh, to many of the women we talked to in, in Tust as well. Do you feel the same way? Maybe if, there was a, a black employee at the game store. It might be a little more welcoming. Yeah, that person to go to. No, no yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll just go ahead and answer that. Just a simple yes. And I, I beg you back on that too because I am that black employee. <laughs> um, along those that line, but slightly different. Um, also, um, organizers. Um. Uh, and uh, especially those who organize um, play campaigns or whatever you have, or people who do like large scale campaigns, should in in some ways just go out of your way and say, "Hey, we're looking for more DMs, we're looking for more convention organizers, stuff like that." And we're also looking to encourage people of color to be those DMs and those organizers as well. Just be blatant about it if you need to be. You're if you're going for a goal of diversity to try and bring other communities that are, that are not normally there, and sometimes you don't, you're not able to um, reach them unless you let them know I'm, we're specifically looking for you to become part of us along with everybody else um, 
there was one convention I went to not too long ago, and I'll leave the details um, vague enough so my, nobody can uh, figure out who this was, but I was in a room of maybe a hundred of his so gamers, and at one point, the convention organizer actually asked for all the DM for the entire um, convention to basically uh, come up and receive some uh, rewards, uh, the DM perks of life for the entire weekend. And I remember actually like getting up to go get a glass of water, going back and looking over there and realizing that every single face that was a DM and the convention organizers were all white men. Every last one of them. And they were uh, black uh, people, um, Latino people, Asians, women um, out in the uh, play space as well. But all of the DMs and the convention organizers were all white men. And I'm, I'm sure they did not necessarily intend for that, but they sure as heck didn't go out of their way to try and stop it either. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is a good point. And now I'm thinking about the Dragon Con DMs and wondering how many black DMs we have for Dragon Con. You have me. That's true, we do. We've got a good number of other minorities, I know at least on the list, so making some progress there. I'm, I'm grateful for that too. We There is such a rich and diverse level of imagination across the board. I would hate to think people are feel ostracized because they don't feel welcome because of race or gender. It, it, would, it would just be an utter shame. Because it's not true. Because people, people are welcome. Black people are specifically, Latino people, whatever, are specifically welcome. But when everybody is white and nobody else is non-white, it, it's in, intimidating. It's okay. People are welcome. Agree. Wholeheartedly agree. I know that as an organizer myself, I, mean, I do MomoCon, and with it being in Atlanta, where there are so many black nerds and where they are embracing that culture, that's one thing that I am explicitly, like Jay said, trying to find. I, you know, wholeheartedly welcome all of the, you know, enthusiastic and passionate, you know, white men and women and everyone who's already been, you know, lovely volunteers. But I also want, I want more um, Asians, Latinos, more people, you know, black people. Um, I want those LGBT people. I want to have panels with all of those people. That way, we're not even just being like, okay, so we can come here and game, but like, yeah, we want you to come there and game, but we want to we want to talk about, you know, what brings you to gaming, what drives you to do gaming, and and how gaming can be better for those marginalized people. Like, I I'm actually like been reading through all the stuff for BlurredCon, and I'm like, this is an idea. Put this down. Put this down. So I'm like. <laughs> Super excited and hope that tons of people are taking cues from events like yours on, you know, educational things, things they can do to kind of drive this diversity. Because, I mean, I mean, I know especially in Atlanta, the the black nerds are out there. They have a society. Even they want to play games. Mm-hmm. They do. Actually, the Black Nerd Society in Atlanta is freaking amazing, and uh, I I love love all all the words. I'd yeah, like to have I, them I was fortunate to DM time. for those um, for those folks when I visited Atlanta. It was very awesome. They they still talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I I think at the end of the day, it's all about being a gamer. It's all about being able to come to the table and let your imagination be a part of other imaginations on a quest, on a journey, on a mission with the characters you created, one of your dreams, and it shouldn't matter. 
what you look like, you know, how, how long you've been in the sun or, you know, how, you know, how kinky your hair is or, or whatever. And BlurCon was one of those things that I love because it took out the element of race, but it put in the element of inclusion. And that's one of the things that really makes BlurCon what it is. And there are other other believe it, there there are other conventions like that. We actually have one here in the area. I forget the name, but there's a gaming group that comes in once a month and they play Pathfinder and they take the tables and they put them together and it's amazing that the, the DM is is this older black gentleman. He calls me Big Brother even though he's taller than me and I call him little brother because he's younger than me. And we actually had a conversation about it. And he says, you know, it, it's the, the key thing is having a safe space where there is no such thing as a threat of being excluded. Because once you have that safe space, it's so easy to gather because the word will get out. And the word gets out. People will gather. Hey, is this? Yeah, they're meeting up there. Boom. It will expand. So I think that's what it is. It's just a matter of inclusion and having a safe space. If you build it, they will come. If you build representation, you show people, you show them physically that they're welcome, that there are others like them included, then they'll be there. All right, so, I mean, we're kind of getting down to the end of the show here, but I got a couple more questions that I kind of want to go through and then we'll call it a night. So, um, one thing that I do want to take a second to kind of give you all an opportunity to kind of, uh, I guess, plug your favorite representative. Uh, are there any non-white game publishers, producers, designers, studios, podcasts, streams, or any other creative thing out there um, that you want to discuss and that you're, you know, passionate about that you want to share with other people, um, you know, just to get, kind of get it out there in the world. Just a quick one. Um, at BlurCon, I got to meet a uh, a guy named Dedrin Sneed, and Dedrin is, uh, has created a multimedia thing uh, that just was so cool. It's a, uh, a fantasy comic book that he is planning on turning into a role-playing game that he uh, says he's in the process of creating a character sheet and everything for it uh, called Sorghum and Spear. Um, and uh, I will uh, send you links uh, and stuff to uh, to all of his social media stuff and the website. Uh, you can buy uh, the first issue now and he's also... Uh, in the process of turning it into an animated series. Michelle Nichols from Star Trek is on as an executive producer of it. Oh, nice. On it. So, I mean, that's uh, great. All the, any, anybody that I could send, anybody in any business that I could send uh, the way of Sorghum and Spear, uh, I, I will, I'd love to do that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to the old days uh, again, Paige, although they're, they're still around. There is a game company called Paradigm Concepts Incorporated, and they are primarily uh, run by uh, Latino people, by and large, um, created by a man named um, Henry Lopez. And he made a uh, diverse world known as Arcanus, where 
the even though one of the main um, nations in it is still um, European Rome in particular, but he also has a variety of other uh, countries um, and races are equally as popular of various uh, different um, skin tones, including Altherians, who are not too dissimilar tr- um, from um, Middle Ages Wakandans, um, actually, um, in that particular way. So um, he's also got some other races that uh, mimic Mongolians, um, some that mimic Latinos, some that mimic Asian as well, and stuff like that. So I really wanted to um, mention um, that um, company. It's, uh, um, it's mostly uh, non-white people um, that run it. They're st- um, still going on um, today, and they have a pretty good game. Yeah, and I know those guys as well, so absolutely dull. I, Henry and Pedro and a lot of the other people that work on that. Always always a delight to see them. Yeah, uh, the world of Arcanus is really something else. I will I will piggyback off CJ, because I did have a chance to hear about Sorghum and Spear, and it sounds really, really doesn't it look so cool? Oh it God. is. I love the concept of it. And the best part about it is it has a high level of diversity that it can appeal to everyone. And and that's what, and that's the key thing. It's got to be able to appeal to all. It shouldn't just be just one group. It should be to all. And it'll bring other people in. And I, I, I heard the concept and I said, oh, yeah, I can see me staying up from midnight to six in the morning playing this word. And and then the Geritol will have to come into play because everything else will fall apart. <laughs> I'm looking at their website now, and I have seen this cover art banner size at some convention that I went to. I want to say maybe it was at MomoCon down in the dealer's room. And I love this cover art. This is beautiful. I mean, he said he was going everywhere, so, you know. Yeah, he's got a whole tab on here about his convention schedule tour, Black Test Con, Blurred Con, Onyx Con, Baltimore Con. He's going to Black Test Con. All right. Finding more ways into that con. The fact that you can get Nichelle Nichols on board with your project. I'm saying. For RPG, you cannot get a, you couldn't find a better seal of approval for a project like this. Come on. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. It looks like they've they've got a lot of good stuff going on, and the art is just top notch here. Like if we're gonna tar- talk uh, Afrofuturism comic art, comic books, I just want to send a shout out to Unique Studios, which is spelled Y O U N E E K Studios. I they have um, they're they're excellent. They've got great comic books. One is called EXO, which is kind of a futuristic one. They've got a new one called. Um, Malika, which are kickstarting for a animated version, and another one called Windmaker. They're really, really neat. I I dug EXO more than the others because I like the kind of whole Africa Afrofuturism thing, which I didn't know was a thing until Black Panther. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, so uh, definitely, we should put Unique Studios on the show notes too. Get it, done it. All right. How about um, any personal project or it, just any anything near and dear to you personally that you want to discuss before we wrap it up? Um, in my area, in my area, we actually started a group of, of younger people who are, we're trying to make them our uh, DM. We had this question when we were at one of our D&D Adventures League of, does the DM have to be an adult. 
and it came from you know a young black teenager and i told him no you if you can tell the story you can run the story you just have to require yeah to show you how to do it so what he did is he went to his high school because he was a freshman he found three of his buddies who were interested and they took it upon themselves to learn how to be dm and they run De uh, dungeons and dragons events from their lunchroom and they're trying to do it in the store. And I told them, when you want to do it, just come on in. And that right there just made me proud because they want to play. They want to run their stories. They like how the story can dictate what goes and who does what. And and this creates this imagination. This makes these future DMs and the future gamers. And I, I tell anyone, if you have someone in your store who wants to do that, no matter what their race is, no matter how old they are, no matter what gender, encourage it. Because these are the future game creators and DMs and, and content creators as a whole. And we need that. Hell yeah, we do. I mean, not like as a society, we do. Because there for a while, uh, everybody playing D&D &D was getting pretty long in the tooth. And we're starting to see finally more uh, young folks getting into the hobby. Thank goodness. Yeah, that's how that's how the hobby continues to stay, stay strong with constant influx of the new. Um, as far as myself, um, as far as plugging something, I am an D and D Adventures League author. I'm coming up. I have one adventure I've written already called Lost in Thought that I um, am quite happy with. And I enjoyed. I heard a lot of good things about. It. Looking for more uh, feedback too. And for the upcoming season eight uh, for Waterdeep, I am writing. Um, one of the earlier adventures, um, DDAL 8-1, The Map with No Names. So, so wow. excited! Oh, yeah. Wow, that's hoping, hoping that that also receives a great reception. Yeah, I'm super excited to see that. Jay, you've actually um, got... I'm showing two on the DMs Guild, although I'm not sure why this one has... Did you write one for... Oh, no. Mark Anderson. Is coming up when I <laughs> We're good. Well, congratulations. I'm, hope, I'm, I'm hoping to write more uh, for DMs Guild eventually, though. So, no, I don't plan to leave it just those two. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I fully expect because I've had the uh, pleasure of reading both of his so far. Everyone's really gonna love his season eight adventure. I just wanna let you know. Great. That Jay, I, I'm looking forward to much more wonderful work from you in in the future and continuing to be like a leader in representation here in Knoxville in the Southeast as for what someone can do if they just do it. Absolutely. Oh. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode then. Let's Kate, you got anything else that you want to? I have like a million more questions <laughs> <laughs> that we just don't have time for. Okay. Like, uh, but you know what? We're just going to have to do another show, I think. We're just going to have to do another show. I mean, probably yeah. right there. We'll have yep. to have another show. We will have you guys back. You guys have been absolutely wonderful. Um, and so just uh, tell our listener uh, where they can find you online, in person, uh, whatever it is that you want to share with them. Uh, Montel, we'll start with you. Oh, wow. Well, I can be found on Instagram and Twitter under Navy Montel. I'm on Facebook not very often under my full name, Montel Dwayne Thompson, but I have a YouTube channel, uh, Rogue Catnip. 
I've been doing it for about four years. I talk about nerd and geek things from an older standpoint. Uh, neat. The next, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I enjoy it. Please come check it out. I'm just a simple nerd doing this thing from his home. Um, I do unboxings, movie reviews. I do rants about, you know, cosplay, bullying, and things like that. So trust me, I do get passionate. Um, I will be at Dragon Con this year. Really? Yes. You'll I, have to come down to the D&D area and say hi. Are you kidding me? Your hugs are amazing. I'm not missing out on that. <laughs> I look forward to meeting you, too. I'll be there myself. Well, I, then I will give you a hug, too, good sir. I can accept hugs. <laughs> okay. Hugs are all around. <laughs> I'm for this it. Has been, this has been amazing. It's really good. Right. We're having a reunion in, uh, what is it, about a, week, about a week and a half, guys. Yeah. About a week and a half. <laughs> Before this show goes live, we'll have met again, everyone. All right. Um, well, great <laughs> seeing you there. CJ, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CJ Talking and on Instagram at CJ Talks. Um, that's C-E-J-A-Y. Those are my initials, but I spell them like that because I thought I was cool in high school. <laughs> um, um, this fall, I, I am a part of uh, Roll20's um weekly talk show roll 20 what's up which is on summer hiatus but it will be back this fall and uh i a uh, little personal thing i'm gonna be dming for the first time what? uh uh with uh with lost mind of pandover and i'm very excited about that and i also uh am likely going to be playing in one of our programming twitch streams uh some game that i'm not sure about but i'll probably be playing in that too so um <laughs> more information about that on my uh various and sundry social media channels but it's been very nice talking to everybody well hopefully uh we will end up at the same con at some point in time prior to blurred con next year but if not, I'm going back. Absolutely. Me too. I, I loved it. I, I definitely encourage everyone, please come to BlurCon. Words can only say so much. Just to be there, you you understand. All right. Jay, tell us about uh, where our audience can get a hold of you on what you got for social media, Twitter. Sure thing. I am not as much of a social media maven as these uh, other two fine gentlemen are, but I am <laughs> on Facebook under my name, Jay Anderson. I'm fairly. Um, a vocal on the various D&D Adventure League boards, so it shouldn't be too hard to find me if you um, look around. I also DM and attend quite a few conventions. I absolutely plan to be at BlurCon next year. You'll most likely see me at um, Origins, Dragon Con, and other um, conventions area, and I will also be at Dragon Con. Looking forward to it. Outstanding. I'm a fan already, sir, so I'll be honored to shake your hand. Same here. Shake your hand, that is. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. You can find me on Facebook under my name, Jenny Loveday. You can find me on Instagram if you want, G underscore Loveday. And you can find me on Twitter at Hey Lightman, and that's spelled P A I G E L E I T like Tango, M A N. You can also find me on Facebook on that uh, same name, or if you look in the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons group, I'm I'm in there every day. That's because you're the moderator. You can find the show on Twitter, D, the letter N, D, Roundtable. You can find it on Facebook, D&D Roundtable, or you can shoot us an email to dndroundtable 
at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, your comments, your suggestions for future show topics, and any other thing that you want to share with us. Also, uh, feel free to please leave us a review on Facebook or on iTunes. It matters so much to us. That's going to be it for this episode of The Roundtable. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be here next time.